The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we're podcasting live from the Global Safe Summit in sunny San Diego. I'm honored to be chatting with M. Campbell Pretty. She was the keynote at our annual Safe Summit Women in Agile breakfast this year. M is the managing director of Pretty Agile, a boutique consulting and training company focused on helping organizations achieve business agility, leveraging the scaled Agile framework and tribal unity. Our Agile community looks to her as a thought leader on scaling Agile cultures, and she has a deep passion for building great teams and transforming culture while maintaining focus and commitment on delivering business outcomes. M has also authored two must-read books for Agilists, Tribal Unity, Getting Teams into Tribes by Creating a One-Team Culture, and The Art of Avoiding a Train Wreck. And I love the play on the word art there. It's the art of avoiding a train wreck. It is. And thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. The, this morning's breakfast was outstanding. Your delivery and the lightness and the authenticity that you brought to the room just was lovely. You got us up on our feet and we were moving around, leaning into our own vulnerability. It was a fantastic session. Thank you. Well, thank you. It was, yeah. it was good fun. Yeah. What was that experience like for you this morning? That was, it was awesome. Um, it was. For, for me, I'm not a morning person, right? So when Angel <laughs> says to me, so, women in Agile, breakfast. I'm like, what does breakfast mean? He said, well, you know, you'd start talking at 7. We'd open at 6.30, but you wouldn't have to be there at 6.30. I'm like, 6.30? <laughs> My alarm goes off at 6.30, and then I turn it off. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I... Um, I don't know what I thought. I thought I was going to be very, very tired. Um, it was awesome. The energy. I mean, it, it, um, it was an awesome room. I mean, you know, there were there were men and women there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, gee, the, the energy in a room full of women is just something else. It was really magical. Yeah. yeah and yeah. the um, just the the way you sort of told a story many of us have heard before about how we all get started with Agile and the silly things that happen that now we can look back and laugh about, but maybe we don't laugh about them when they're happening. Um, I really want to capture some of that story here because it's, I really love hearing everyone's stories about how did you find Agile? Because oftentimes it's that Agile finds us. Yep. But I really do think that like you went and pursued this and made it something really amazing throughout your, your journey and your career. Yeah. I, um, certainly the, the first time I, I heard of Agile was this um, IT program manager who um, is, has to brief me on progressive elaboration because um, that's how they're going to run the program I'm sponsoring. What is progressive or elaboration? So well, it's really agile, but we can't say that because it's a very, very bad word. <laughs> okay, thanks. A um, little bit more information. What, what is this agile thing? Um, so she tells me there's this thing called Scrum, and the teams do the teams sprint, and and they sit in a dark room. Maybe she didn't say dark, but in my head, this is a, dark a dungeon, room. It's a, dungeon. <laughs> a scrum dungeon, yeah, a scrum dungeon. <laughs> for a month. We lock the team in a room for a month, and at the end, they emerge with working software. Like, this woman is just nuts. <laughs> um, thanks for the chat, and and I, nothing came of that. I'm sure that's shocking to everybody. Um, when I really first um, 
started looking at, at Agile, I was um, sponsoring this waterfall nightmare that had been going on and on and on and, and delivering nothing. And uh, the broader organisation had said, we, we're going to be Agile. Um, but they were very specific about who was allowed to be Agile and my program wasn't allowed to be Agile. Um, and I'm, I'm a big reader. So you know, people start talking about Agile, I go to Amazon, I buy books, I start reading and I'm also this, like to experiment. So go to Amazon, buy books understand there's a stand-up every day, make the wonderful program teams do daily stand-ups, 20, 24 people, an hour every morning. I, I was really well-intended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so many of us are when we get started. <laughs> um, uh, horrified to think back on. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm... Um, you know, start pushing the organisation. I know we're not on your list, but you know, can we, can we, can we do some agile? Um, and you know, a little bit of fate in, to intervene, a little bit of pushing, a little bit of fate came, came together. And the um, the director for that technology domain uh, has a target. He's going to have ten percent of his projects agile in the next year, and none of the chosen projects were were on were his. So we go from no agile is bad and evil to yes you can and, and you're not on the list to yes you can you can be agile you can go on two days of agile fundamentals training. Thank you. <laughs> and magically we're all agile. That was it, right? We, Train and pray. Absolutely, and we thought we were right. You just you don't know what you don't know. And when we're off and we're running and we've got an army of coaches as part of being one of the strategic agile programs, we get six coaches. I can't imagine a world now where, you know, this is just a 100-person organisation with six coaches, agile coaches, descend on them. Um, And, and, yeah, they were really, again, lovely, well-intended people, but, oh, my goodness, did they give us some horrible advice. Um, You know, we had uh, had a team of... Agile team of 35 people. Nothing wrong with that. Um, That sounds like a 20-pizza team, not a (laughs) two-pizza team. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't have to pay for the pizza. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you're 20, 20, yeah, sorry, 20 <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, 35 people, agile teams, coaches, advices. You only write user stories for things that have business value. And teams go, okay. So, no stories about spinning up dev environments or any of that stuff. Very little working software emerged from that little exercise, strangely enough. Um, I I still, to this day, I'll never get past the coach who's told told the teams, anything bigger than a 13, just call it a 13. 13. (laughs) It'll be fine. What did you say? It uh, took them three months to deliver their first story, and it was a 13-point story. (laughs) 13 points. It was bigger than 13. Still 13. (laughs) Three months. That was a very expensive user story. When I think the... When you, you, you're telling the story, yeah. right? And even though those things were happening yeah. and that we can laugh about now and be like, oh my gosh, how atrocious. You made the point of even bad agile, even bad safe is still often better than what organizations had been doing before and how that actually makes it harder to build high-performing teams as well as truly agile cultures and truly, you know, adaptable organizations that are in this land of business agility. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's um, I love the opening from Jim Collins' Good to Great. Good is the enemy of, of great. And it's hard, right, because you, you try something and you don't do it very well and you, and you get to better, but 
the better isn't good. And you know, so often uh, you end up talking to people and they're saying, well, you know, I want to go agile, okay, um, but I can't do all this stuff. And so I, I don't want to tell you not to go because that doesn't feel like a really good message. But if you're not going to do it properly, I kind of wish you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's really hard. But they, um, you know, really well-intended people, cut a few corners here and there. Um, you know, one day PI planning, let's launch a train and not train anybody. Let's do safe but not do the IP sprint. And they get a result. And at that point, it validates their decision to cut corners. And, and what they can't see is, because they don't have perspective, is what their version of good is, is much, much lesser than our version of, of good and the potential to be truly great. Yeah, it really, it puts a very low glass ceiling on organizational agility. Absolutely. But anytime I get into a conversation like this, I think about this idea of, um, as agilists, especially as agile coaches, the idea of meeting your client where they are. Mm-hmm. And I know, at least in my career, sometimes that means coaching them on things that I know are kind of agile anti-patterns, mm-hmm. but I'm meeting them for where their organizational maturity mm-hmm. is. And the thing we're working on is taking them in a step mm-hmm. the right direction. So when you think about this idea of balancing, I know I am moving the needle some, but I know it's not where we need to be moving it. That becomes sort of an inner battle and war. How do you navigate that and how can you kind of help our listeners come up with maybe some techniques that would help them navigate that that inner journey? Yeah, um, it's actually it's probably one of the most common questions I get asked in the in the classroom. Uh, you know, you talk about this is this is how we go about doing safe, and and people say, what do you what do you do when somebody says I don't want to do that? Look, I, we have we have our, our non-starters, right? Um, you won't train people, I won't work with you. Um, it's, it's really that simple for me. Um, it's a respect for people thing. Uh, if you want to change an organisation, you have a moral obligation to provide people with the education to be able to work in a new way. And if you don't have that very basic hygiene respect for people, I don't think I can help you. Um, you know, that's, that's probably one of our really, really big ones. Um, so we have a handful of things that we just go, these are the non-starters, right? You won't do these things you're too far away and then there's a whole raft of stuff that we go this is this is good practice and I really encourage you to do this but it's your choice um, we're very deliberate in how we work with organizations that I want the organization to see what good looks like and compromise back from there so we always start with it would be better if your teams were co-located it would be better if you um, did the quick start to launch a train. It would be better if you uh, brought everybody together for PI planning. And then, you know, make some decisions around compromises. Because I think organisations are better when they understand they're compromising. It forces them to think more about compensating for the compromise. Any any model optimises for something and de-optimises for other things. Mm-hmm. And so you have to acknowledge what you're not optimising for yep. and then find those patterns for it. Absolutely. But I want to push you because mm. you're giving a wonderful answer for someone that's sitting there and talking to executives about planning transformation. Mm-hmm. But let's put ourselves in the shoes of agile coach 
whether internal or external, that's dropped into the middle of an engagement that didn't have the luxury mm-hmm. of this conversation. And so we're stuck in that situation mm-hmm. where we know we're really not set up for greatness, yeah. but we're having to make these choices. Mm-hmm. Like what conversation did you, as you went through this, mm-hmm. have in your own head about how to best meet the client where they are, but again, kind of hold your own, what I'll call coaching ethics, because yeah. that's kind of where you started with it. Yeah. Um, look, it's, it's, for me, it's a, it's a similar play, right? You go into the organization, you recognize that they're wherever they are, um, and you know where you want them to be. And, and when I look at it from a, you know ethical responsibility, it, it's paint that picture of, of, of where, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, from my point of view, if you're in the the middle of that and it's happening, you know, are they going to wake up tomorrow and, and relaunch their train? Probably not. But is that your end game? Maybe. Um, then your job has to be how do you help them see? So it almost talk- is back to that educate. Absolutely. It's, you're really taking a stance of educating to those stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. It's um. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about learning to see. Um, it's, uh, I love that phrase, yeah, learning to see. Learning to see. The lean folks say, you know, people don't know what they don't know. They can't see what they can't see. How do I make it visible to them? You know, I um, can remember working with a client that had decided to split their teams across Sydney and Mumbai, I think. Um, And it was just, it was horrible. Like, we would try and um, help facilitate retrospectives, and it was just horrible. And, you know, I I said to the, um, the program manager, you know, let's get one of the GMs down here. Let him sit in on this experience because I don't think they know what they're doing. They think they're making a cost-effective choice. They, they think a whole raft of things. I don't think they have the foggiest idea how difficult communication is in that world. So, you know, a lot of um, how do you bring about change? Bring the leader to the Gemba. Show them the experience. Um, some of us were trading stories recently about how quickly remote planning changes once an executive is sent to the remote site for planning whole different perspective, whole different perspective. So, you know, I may not be able to change it, but I can help them see, see it. Yeah. And and then it's the, how do you unsee those things? And that really is oh. when you have to call on yourself as a leader to lean into making different choices Absolutely. and taking risks. And that idea of risk taking was really the most resonant and salient point of your talk this morning at the breakfast. Why do you lean into this idea of risk-taking and vulnerability? You talked about Brene Brown a lot. Like, what led you to this passion? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, there's this sort of connecting dots that that happened for for me. Uh, I think I've always been very driven and very single-minded. I often look back at, you know, my career and go, you know, right place, right time, so lucky. Um, and then you, you look at that and you go, well, that can't just be it because there were other people in the same place at the same time that that didn't, didn't do that. And I started um, this conversation actually earlier this year uh, around, you know, what do you, what do you do if you've got nothing to lose? And I went, 
don't know that we ever have nothing to lose. I think that's our, our mental protection that allows us to, to take risk. So I started just thinking back on, on my journey and going, all these points in time where I did these things and I told myself it was luck, it was timing, it was nothing to lose, I had everything to lose. I just didn't frame it that way in my, in my mind. And the rationalisation. And therefore it was safe to take the risk because I couldn't, I couldn't see the risk in, in that light. Um, and, and for me this became a theme as I started looking at, at you know, my success as a, when I was in industry and I'm like, well, you know, I'd lead with nothing to lose and then I'd start piecing together these leaders I'd met over the years and the ones that stood out were all these people who felt they had nothing to lose. And, of course, there's always something to lose. But it's that bit where you honestly believe that this is the only alternative. It makes you very brave. And you don't even know that you're necessarily taking risk. So one of the, the sort of the mini threads sitting in the, in the um, bottom of this morning's talk was, you know, do you, do you really have nothing to lose? And even when you think you have nothing to lose, maybe you do, and maybe taking risk is okay, even if you do have something to lose, because you probably do. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the vulnerability thread sort of came through a, a, a different path. When I was uh, in industry, I started life as a, as a business sponsor, so I was a big scary person in the corner office that held all the money. Um, I That's a not- fun place to be. <laughs> I didn't know I was a scary person. <laughs> I, I thought I was very approachable. I didn't think it was that big a deal. Um, as it turns out, apparently it was. Um, and the, the Agile folks I started to work with said, you know, we need to create connection between you and the, you and the teams because they're scared. I went, okay. Um, we can do that. So I started... Um, you know, getting to, to know the people who, who did the work on a, um, a better level. It, it was really simple. Right? I, I'm a big believer in physical visualisations, which means I could go and walk, walk the floor and talk to people about what was, what was going on and just ask the question, how, how can I help? Um, you don't ask, what are you doing? That like, it's a whole different <laughs> response. You know, how, how can I help? And this starts to create a, a, a conversation. Um, and it, being able to admit you, you don't know, being able to admit that you're making mistakes, all these things make you human. So coming back to how do we remove the, the fear of the leadership, the leader has to be human. And part of that's connection and part of that's being willing to be vulnerable and, and make mistakes. Um, so through you know, that sort of thread, because I like to read stuff, um, I come across Brene Brown's um, work and this connection she makes between vulnerability and courage. You know, gee, that's, that's really, really fascinating, right? I've got this whole thought process going around risk-taking and, and, and courage and this other thought process going around vulnerability and I'm going, actually, these, these two things are the, are the same. Um, you know, it's, as she says, without vulnerability, there is no, no courage. Um, and you know, just having uh, wrapped up the, the latest book, which is really all about, you know, talk about the art of avoiding a, a train wreck. How do we have successful transformations? And I, I look back over um, all the stories we, we told, all the experiences, the things we got from other people, and I go, what's, what's that thread? Courageous leadership. The people who succeeded had create courageous leadership and the people who made mistakes the train wrecks 
always came from people who chickened out for whatever reason. Right. And the, there's there's a thread of leadership here yeah. that's really real for you, yes. which is not just being a leader in organizations no. and helping lead things, but now the stance of thought leader within our Agile community, which has a whole different aspect of vulnerability and risk-taking and, and making your opinions and beliefs in the forefront of conversation, because then that invites the critic. Uh, absolutely. And, and Brene Brown, we know, talks about that mm. a lot as well. So what has that piece of your journey been like? Uh, I... Um I find it really rough. I um, I don't enjoy the social media uh, trolls banter, whatever you want to want to call it. I, um, I I can't quite get my head around the people who are running successful agile businesses using whatever method they're using, feel the need to criticise someone else else's method, and from a really like, human point of view, somebody else's livelihood, right? Um, so it, it's interesting. I think the less I knew about Agile and the community, the more willing I was to put myself out there. So if I look back over my early earlier blogs versus you know, more recent writings, my earlier blogs, I'm like, I wasn't concerned about critique or what have you. I now find I hesitate to post because... I don't want the noise. I just want to put... My, my whole blog started with, I just wanted to share my experiences. People like to hear the stories. I just wanted to put them out there, make them accessible. Now I feel like if I share my experience, then I'm... It doesn't get read through that lens. It gets read through some some other lens where I'm, you know, pushing some horrible thing on people. It's like, you know, do it, don't do it. I, I kind of don't care. I just, you know, some people might find it useful. Therefore, I choose to share. But it's um, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, it's um, it's actually interesting. You reminded me. I um, I wrote a. I went to the Agile twenty thirteen conference. It was the first time I went to the big alliance conference. That was my first one too. How fun's that? Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, you've got this idea of what Agile is and how it's supposed to be a community. And this is the conference in which Ken Schwaber tweets unsafe at any speed into the Agile Alliance tweet stream, and he's not there. And um, uh, David Anderson does the, the same thing. Neither of them are there and they're tweeting this very negative message into the tweet stream. And I was really taken back because I, I thought this was a community. I thought this was built on people sharing ideas around what works. And, and what I'm looking at is thought leaders attacking each other. And I found it really, really confronting. And I actually got wrapped up in that and had made a statement that was like, we're here to uncover better ways of delivering value by doing it ourselves and helping others do it too. Yeah. Just because my way is different than yours doesn't mean that either of us are wrong. Absolutely. And and I similar to that, it's like I found myself like, is this even a community that like I really want to be part mm-hmm. of? And I and I think aspects of that still exist. Yep. But I also feel like we're emerging beyond that. That there's something happening with the convergence of these adjacencies of all these things that are surrounding Agile mm-hmm. that are giving us the building blocks to kind of move past some of those conversations. What are you experiencing related to that? I, I think at the moment I'm feeling, and you know, obviously I'm very much um, embedded in the in the safe community. Um, and as that community grows, I think that helps create a, a place of, of safety. I mean, what Dean say or Chris say, 21,100 people here? Yeah. I mean, you know, the Alliance Conference is 2,500 people. I mean, this is a, now a massive, massive community. Um, and 
as much as there's some angst around the various flavours of Agile, I don't find there's so much angst amongst the safe community. They don't seem to be quite at, at each other. Mm-hmm. So I think that's creating a safe space um, <laughs> to, to share more. Right? I think um, that's... I think that's the journey that, that I'm finding is, as this is becoming more widespread, um, I can at least I can interact within this space without having to worry too much about what's outside this space. Um, probably not the most courageous or vulnerable thing I've ever done. However. Um, <laughs> but it's important to have those networks and the communities to support you yeah. so that when it does get hard in other places, you have your kind of tribe to go yeah. back and, yeah. and your family yeah. to help you. Yeah. And so speaking of communities, yes. right, women and agile, yeah. um, great community, Absolutely. right, spirit this morning. What have you observed about the role of women in agile over the years? It's um, such an interesting thing. I, I, I get asked about it a lot, and I didn't really... Um, realised that there was a women in Agile gap initially. And and I came at Agile from a, a different angle from a lot of people because I never, you know, I was never in a scrum team, I was never a scrum master. I, I you know, I, my, I enter my Agile world at Scaled Agile so um, and, and Safe. So I sort of came at it from a, a, a different angle um, and I completely lost my chain of thought. <laughs> That happens. That is so human. <laughs> it happens to all of us, and it even happens to M. <laughs> what did you ask me? About the role of women in our well, community. Oh, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, the Women Agile thing was really interesting. I, I, I knew it existed um, because um, initially I met Lisa Adkins and Natalie Warnett um, back when all of this started. And Lisa Ad, um, Adkins used to republish bloggers on her blog. Mm-hmm. That was how we got started. After Scrum Gathering in Vegas in 2013. Ah, yeah. So I get invited to participate in that, and that's how I find out it's a it's a thing. Um, I didn't have a sense of who the community was, um, and I actually I, I think what's really Women in Agile's done for for me is it makes me look around the room and go, oh my God, where are all the women? Um, and I, and I don't know that I'd been cognizant of, of there actually being a a gap there. I think probably I'd also lost sight of the fact that so much of this world came out of technology and, and you know, certainly um, you know, my life as a business sponsor working with technology teams, it was always me and a bunch of middle-aged white guys um, sitting in a room because all the heads of the technology departments were the middle-aged white guys. Um, and, you know, here's, here's me trying to, trying to you know, get something done. Um, so I saw it through through that lens, but I because I guess I didn't grow up in technology, I didn't quite see it as as clearly. And I, I think now with that that light that that Natalie and the Women in Agile organisation is shining on it, you go actually you're, you're right. Everywhere I go, um, I meet you know walk into a new organisation, thirty coaches, how many women? Not many. Um, meet a heck, b- bunch of scrum masters, how many women? Not many. Um, in fact, I can remember an Agile coach telling me that women didn't make very good scrum masters because they weren't technical enough and the men didn't respect them. Isn't that fascinating? I've forgotten all about that. Um, so that's that's there, right? That was somebody, you know, clearly over a beer, not thinking about what they were saying. Um, but that that's it. That's in people's heads, right? Women can't be scrum masters because the devs won't respect them. You've got to be kidding me. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff there. I think I didn't see it because it wasn't 
my journey. I, I had the same, more of a probably women in business IT sort of issue. But um, you know, now, now I look and I, I see it all the time and I'm like, wow. And, and something you can't unsee. Talking about yeah, right yeah. education to see yeah, and absolutely. learning to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so great about the women agile piece. It, you know, shine a light. Shine a light on it. And, you know, actually, you're right. There's, there's a gap here and there's a, there's a problem here and there's an imbalance here that actually doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, you look at some of the... Um, you know, really great thought leaders in, in our community, you know, Lisa Adkins, Lisa Crispin, um, Esther Darby, I mean, you know... Linda Rising. Linda Rising, I mean, you know, Jean DeBaker, um, you know, just amazing, amazing women. Um, interesting, you know, um, uh, I think all except Lisa Adkins started as programmers, um, which is which is kind of fascinating. Um, and, and there's this view, again, I've heard from men in the community that they, um, yes, yes, you know, they, they were programmers, but you see, they're really in the soft skills side of Agile now. Wow. Well, and apparently that's because, you know, women really, programming and women, they're not really wired for it. Oh, my goodness, you just said that out loud. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's kind of terrifying, actually, what, yeah. what goes on in some people's heads. And that they say those things out loud. Yeah. <laughs> but by them saying it out loud, at least that gives us more data. It does. It reveals the system. We're yeah. able to work with that absolutely. now. Understand what biases are yeah. there. Yeah, yep. absolutely. And so that knowledge is power yes, in knowledge, that situation. Knowledge, knowledge is definitely, definitely power. And so I'll, I'll actually I'll hmm. use that as a segue as we start to wrap up today. Um, for people that are young and, and new in their Agile journeys, the, the things to go learn and the places to explore, there's just so much to choose from. Sure is. But as you move on in your career, there's still lots of things to choose from, but it starts becoming a little more, I don't know, niche to some extent, like some people choose the professional coaching path mm-hmm. or this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a thought leader and someone that often our community is learning from, what is it that you're doing to kind of continue to grow yourself and your knowledge. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the fun thing I did last year, I went to Japan and did a, a lean study tour. Um, so that was just phenomenal. Um, I'm, you know, to just go to go to Toyota, go to the Toyota suppliers, um, start to just understand the ecosystem that is the, the community in Japan. So I think I, I find myself looking for almost more and more base knowledge. Um, like I really want to understand the history. I want to experience uh, where this comes from. Um, and, you know, you still learn stuff. I mean, one of my great takeaways from, from that trip, and we were really lucky, we had... Um, uh, Mr. Yoshino on the uh, tour with us, and he was um, John Tuk's first manager at um, Toyota. Um, so he was involved in the NUMI program and, and all of that. And, and you know, someone, of course, has to ask, you know, why is Toyota different? We meet all these lean manufacturers in, in Japan. Why is Toyota different? And um, he says discipline. It's discipline. The difference between Toyota and everybody else is discipline. And you know, someone else asked me about the recalls and the problem, and he said, you know, what would happen? He said, they lost their discipline. And how did they fix it? They found their discipline. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's so true. And I've spent a lifetime you know, talking to people about good agile is a disciplined process. Good agile is a disciplined process. Yeah. There's, a, there's a secret here, and that was just such a nice little connection of, of dots for, for me. So I find that I'm very driven to um, learn through experiences. Um, you know, I got very lucky. I um, 
uh, got to visit the folks at Boeing earlier this year. So I think I'm doing a lot of you know, go to the go to the Gamba, see what people are doing, um, validate or or learn something new or connect some some new dots. So that's kind of my my journey at this point in time. That's that's lovely, and and I love that that idea of being disciplined is key to agile. Is this actually also kind of a key to self, yeah. like success in life. Yeah. And what is that intention and what is that discipline? Mm-hmm. Um, and your discipline may be different than mine and that's okay. We mm-hmm. all have our different manifestations mm-hmm. of that. But that discernment and intentionality I think is definitely an important piece of it. Yep. And any th- final sort of thoughts or wisdom you want to share with our listeners? Um, I think you can do anything you want if you just put your mind to it. I um, really encourage you, if there's something that, that you want, buy the book, go to the talk, go to the meetup, read the blog, run the experiment. You don't have to do it all at once. Just run the experiment, try it. So much of everything I got to do started because we started running experiments. Um, run some experiments. Try some things out. You won't always land on your feet, but you'll learn a heap. And then you'll know better next time. I love that. Em, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, it's lovely chat. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to go tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. Go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast, checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.